0: Welcome to Clearway Capital Solutions new podcast series where we talk about some of the service providers that can assist in building a funds management business including questions regarding licensing in order to conduct a financial services business in Australia. I'm Dennis Methenius, Managing Director from Clearway Capital Solutions and I'm joined by Michael Mavramatis who is a partner at Holly Nethco. Michael advises on legal compliance and regulatory requirements affecting financial services businesses his practice areas include funds management, platform, superannuation, IDPSs, managed accounts, payments, derivatives, conflicted remuneration, and financial services generally. Holly code is a commercial firm, law firm, with a focus on the financial services industry. They provide legal services in several areas, such as franchising, AML, CTF, financial services law, licensing related issues, intellectual property, contracts, privacy, trademarks, trade practices, leases, and dispute resolution. Holly Nethercote also offer advice in matters relating to Australian financial services license holders. Hello Michael, let's say a fund manager based in the United States is aiming to raise capital in Australia for the first time. Do they need an Australian financial services license, an AFSL, to conduct their first trip, fact
1: find, and meet with prospective investors? Uh, Firstly, Dennis, thanks very much for having me along today. That is a very good question, and we get that question a lot. So the main question here is, will you be running a business here? So will you be running a business in Australia? The next question then is, you're running a financial services business here and you really need to get to the bottom uh, of those questions. So if you are going to take this approach in terms of not being licensed, you need to make sure that you're not running a business in Australia and I'll get back to that in a minute. And when you say raising capital in Australia, it depends on how the fund manager will do that as well. So just as an example, you're going to provide discretionary investment management services from the US That is completely different from operating a fund here in Australia. You might be able to rely on limited connection relief for the time being if you're only dealing with wholesale clients, but that isn't going to last forever and it only applies in certain circumstances as well. It also depends on your intended client base. So, for example, uh, are you going to attend a series of sit-down meetings with a couple of banks or... Are you sending your sales team on a one-month roadshow where you're also likely to run into Australian clients? So think very carefully before going on your first trip. Are they limited? Um, Sorry. Sorry. uh, Yeah. So if you're planning on relying on the fact that you're not running a business here, uh, don't set up an office here. So... If the financial services you provide in Australia are more than very minor, and in particular, they have elements of system, repetition, continuity, then it is likely that you will need an AFSL. So in summary, they may need an AFSL, or they might be able to rely on an exemption or relief, or they might also be able to otherwise be authorised by another AFSL holder. So there's a number of possibilities, and you just need to have a think about the best option for you on a case-by-case basis, really. Michael, are they limited
0: by the type of investors they can engage with and, and how is that type, types of investors defined?
1: Uh, in short, the answer is yes. So if you're relying on relief, then you're likely to be dealing with uh, wholesale clients only. Also, that relief isn't going to last forever and it's, it's probably going to become more restricted. So assuming that you want to deal only with wholesale clients, there are five categories. There's the uh, product value test, individual wealth test, there's an asset and income test, um, uh, the professional investor test and the sophisticated investor test as well. So having said that, if you're going to have your own A AFSL or be appointed as a corporate authorised representative, so that's as a car of an A AFSL, then in that case, uh, you can also have retail clients. But I should probably tell you a little bit about those five tests. So, as I was saying, there's the product value test. So, in summary, the product being invested in or advised on is worth more than $500,000. Then there's the individual wealth test. uh, So, where the individual uh, net assets um, of the person are more than $2.5 million or gross income of more than $250,000 per year. You need to receive a certificate from a qualified accountant uh, verifying uh, those details and you can't be investing for business purposes. Then there's the professional investor test. That's generally your institutional grade of investor. They hold an A for sale, or they're APRA regulated, or it's a person controlling more than $10 million in gross assets. And there's no business use test for that one. Uh, There's the large business test. So in summary, a business with more than 20 employees or more than 100 if it's a manufacturing business. Uh, So that one's limited to to the business use test. And uh, finally, there's sophisticated investors. So where the client has previous experience in uh, financial services, basically, that one's more of a last resort and it's subject to being challenged. And uh, so that test also can't be used in connection with the business. You would also need a pretty robust onboarding process to do all of this. Uh, If you want to deal with retail investors, there's a whole number of additional regulatory and disclosure obligations that you need to meet. But basically, that's how you meet the various wholesale tests.
0: Are there any limitations on the type of asset classes that can be marketed in Australia? For example, do the same laws apply to a public equity manager
1: and a private equity manager? So there are no limitations on the kinds of assets, but if you're interested in offering crypto investments, uh, as an example, as part of a regulated product, you need to be very wary and careful in terms of how you you do that. So our regulators are very interested and concerned in crypto offerings that constitute financial products uh, of any kind. Uh, But in terms of the laws that apply, it depends on what structure you're going with. So if you're issuing units in a managed investment scheme, That's different to interest in a public company uh, where you would have to issue securities in that case. And in terms of private companies, there are certain small scale offers, but that would be very limited in the amount of capital capital that you could raise in that case. Uh, There's also relief for operators of wholesale equity schemes that invest primarily in private companies, but that won't assist you if you're found to be conducting a business in Australia and you'd still need uh, another company in your group to hold an AFSL, so it's It's not really meant for foreign entities.
0: Similarly, are there any limitations on the type of legal structure that can be marketed in Australia, for example, open-ended compared to a closed-end legal structure?
1: So there's no limitations on the kind of structure at all. So you can build any functionality that you want into the constitution for a management scheme. Uh, So, for example, the funds can be open-ended or closed-ended. You can provide for drawdowns or really anything you like. It doesn't have to be a liquid scheme uh, either, particularly if you're dealing with wholesale clients. Uh, there are obviously some rules that apply, but if your product functions in a certain way, you should be able to build that into the constitution. Now, in terms of limitations, you wouldn't be marketing any structure to a retail client unless you have your own AFSL. So in that case, you would be offering interests in a managed investment scheme or a corporate collective investment vehicle, which is a new kind of offer, which uh, offers a setup using a corporate investment structure. Uh, Those structures have more in common with something like UCITS funds, but you will need a full AFSL to engage with retail clients. So uh, if you're engaging with retail clients, you would want the the fund that you're setting up to be here in Australia, you wouldn't want them going straight into the overseas vehicle uh, in terms of retail clients. So there's there's many reasons for that. So tax, overseas laws, design and distribution obligations, uh, you would need a full proper AFSL for retail.
0: If that same fund manager is planning to make subsequent visits, um, endeavouring to build a business in Australia, does that change their licensing requirements? So
1: the consideration in relation to continuity is definitely very important. Uh, As I was saying earlier, if you're a fund manager who's operating a business here or managing property here, that would suggest you're operating a financial services business in Australia. So sometimes it's just not that difficult to become appropriately authorised under another AFSL holder's licence, and you could rely on a white-labelling solution for that purpose as well. But uh, yes, to answer your question – you're planning to build a business in Australia, you'll need to become licensed or authorized in some way. Um, Also, you need to look out to make sure that if you're relying on an exemption, there are a few things to look out for. So uh, firstly, you need to keep an eye out and make sure the exemption doesn't expire. And then secondly, you need to make sure that whatever you are doing on day one, that you don't have scope creep. So we incrementally become more and more involved in operating in this jurisdiction um, without noticing, and we see that happen quite a bit.
0: Michael, the licensing regime for so-called foreign financial service providers has been fluid over the last few years. Briefly, what is the status of the latest incarnation of the regime, and Are there any specific dates final managers should be aware of?
1: So there is limited connection relief, which I referred to earlier. That will expire and it will be replaced uh, with an instrument that focuses on institutional clients. So that's the professional investor test largely I was referring to before. Uh, So certain relief is extended to March 2024. It is possible that that relief may be extended further again. Some of those relief instruments required that the fund manager will have already been active and relying on the instrument uh, in Australia prior to now. Um, So whilst you might be able to rely on certain relief until March 2024, it's not really any way to run a business. Uh, There's there's no reason why you can't apply for a foreign financial services licence now or a full AFSL or just becoming a a corporate authorised representative, a CAR, of another AFSL holder like an RE, so a responsible entity for hire or a trustee for hire. Related to
0: the above, um, let's assume the transitional period remains in place this time. Um, Broadly outline what will be required of a fund manager and how long will it take to be
1: compliant? So there's no reason why a fund manager can't apply for a foreign financial services licence at this stage through the usual process. As an estimate, uh, it would take about six to nine months to obtain um, such a license in the case of a full AFSL. In the meantime, if you're ultimately planning on working with an RE or trustee for hire, they might be able to authorize you to provide financial services in the meantime as their representative. And for some providers, then they're happy uh, for that to be an ongoing option. So all of this is manageable. Uh, you might be able to switch uh, the manner in which you're meeting the regulatory requirements during the process, uh, particularly if you start out with just a few clients and uh, you're just assessing how likely it is that you would like to then provide ongoing services from Australia. So uh, once you're a licensee, you really do need to then make sure that you comply with your ongoing legal and regulatory requirements. So at this stage, You should probably get some professional assistance with meeting your ongoing obligations as a licensee and ensuring that you have the right policies in place. Uh, We've actually got our own uh, compliance solution for licensees, which is called the HN Hub. And that's a subscription service that we offer for that purpose. Uh, But yes, uh, you'll need to ensure that you keep on top of your legal and regulatory obligations.
0: If a fund manager plans to launch a managed investment scheme in Australia, does that change the licensing requirements?
1: Uh, Well, it depends on what you mean by launch. If they want to be the trustee or responsible entity, then uh, yes. Uh, So it's open to those fund managers to apply for their own AFSL and become a responsible entity and operate their own uh, managed investment schemes. But bear in mind that obtaining an AFSL uh, that would apply to a responsible entity, so an RE is one of the more onerous licences that an AFSL licensee can apply for, Capital requirements in terms of net tangible assets are very high, and you would be expected to hire and maintain a reasonably sized team to meet ongoing obligations. Alternatively, it would make a lot of sense for a fund manager to obtain its own license, which authorizes them to operate as a discretionary investment manager. So not the full RE license, that is an option as well. Um, you'd have to obtain authorizations that uh, allow for you to advise and deal in relation to the relevant asset classes. So, for example, securities, foreign exchange contracts, derivatives, managed investments, and so forth, whatever it might be. There's some very large, successful international fund managers who would still rely on on that model. So there are a number of uh, ways in which you could
0: look at launching a fund here. Are there any other important considerations a fund manager should consider before marketing their funds in Australia?
1: Yes, definitely. That's very important. You're planning on relying on any particular exemptions. uh, You need some very strict guidelines to apply to your staff so that they know what they can and can't say. So be aware of the requirements associated with the structure uh, that you're planning on relying on. For example, If you're working with a trustee for hire, know what their policy is in relation to the promotion of funds and their promotional materials. It might be the case that those promotional materials will need to uh, be released in their name and with their approval, even if they're completely branded and uh, marketed as as your own materials. Um, You need to know exactly where you stand in terms of uh, those kinds of arrangements. So... The questions you should be asking yourself are: Yes, it's your product, but from a legal perspective, you actually the issuer of the product, or is there someone else, say so the trustee, that you need to engage with in terms of those marketing materials? Um, you'll probably need their permission to release the materials. You'll probably need a disclaimer, or in any event, you'll need to include certain standard text in your materials. You have to be very aware of your structure and know exactly how it is that you're going to be providing those services. You also need to think about whether there are any retail clients. If there are, are you even authorized to provide financial product advice to them? That's something you would have to look at as well. Uh, Yeah, so they're the sort of matters that you need to be thinking about. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks very much.